I'm kind of learned extrovert, adaptable. Did the experience with being a YouTuber help you somehow? My perfectionism was making it all much worse. <laughs> I had to unlearn it. Explaining why we do, why someone has to do something helps a lot. Hi, I'm Maria, and this is the Agile State of Mind, special edition where I'm doing interviews with engineering managers. At my work, I try to make sense of chaos. And the role of engineering manager has been creating a fair amount of chaos for me at work. And the chaos is created by precisely what the role is and what it is not. And the naming, because each company somehow has their own take on what engineering manager role will mean for them. And they also name them totally different. What we have is engineering manager, engineering lead, team lead, tech lead, functional lead, and probably many more. So I decided to make sense of this chaos by talking to people who, one, actually work in the role, and two, are good at it. And today I will have a chat with Jan Hemt, who is a backend lead at Smart Patient. Cześć Janku. Hey, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And apart from being backend lead, Janek is also my brother. And I think that's actually the first time that I pronounced our last name correctly, right? Can you say it for us, please? Hemt. <laughs> Some people say Czech and they also say Janszek. I know what you mean. Now I call myself Maria Czech. But that's also part of the avoiding chaos in my life, telling it how people would pronounce it. Janek used to be a full-stack software developer for many years, specializing in Python. He knows and explores all possible productivity hacks, from the Getting Things Done, a book by David Allen, to optimizing Flip. He is a passionate gamer, loves fantasy books, especially reading them for hours in the bathtub while the rest of the family is waiting for their turn. <laughs> yeah, I had to tell that about you. And, and this obviously runs in the family. He used to be a very active gaming YouTuber. You can check his channel here. It's in Polish, Kulturalny Wild, with more than 400 hours of gaming videos with live commentary. Yeah, but it is very old, so... Uh... Yeah, I cringe when I watch it. <laughs> oh, really? I try to modulate it. But... Okay, I wonder what will happen well. after years of me doing this YouTube videos. Anyway, that's quite a bio that you have there. Would you like explaining a little bit about Smart Patient, what your company does and what technologies you use? At Smart Patient, we are doing an application to monitor your therapy. And uh, the most basic functionality is um, reminding uh, you to take your meds. You can generate charts with uh, your progress. So we can, uh, for example, show it to your doctor. This application is for free. It's called MyTherapy. We have also integrations for particular medication and particular therapies. For example, synchronization of uh, with your clinic or fertility uh, treatment. And what technology do you use? Is it like, I understand there is a mobile app? We have uh, mobile apps for Android and iOS. For backend, we use, uh, we have servers on AWS. We use uh, Python and we are using framework uh, Django. Okay, thank you. You are first-time manager and I know you well. You used to be, you know, a typical loner. I hope you don't mind me saying that. You could spend hours <laughs> focused on doing something on your own 
alone in your room and it was really hard to get you out of that room. And I'd like to understand what made you even consider taking a leadership role? And did you feel overwhelmed at any point by the bureaucracy and like administrative work that it contained? Hey, so to unpack this, <laughs> first of all, I think that me being a loner or not, uh, this assessment depends on the standpoint from which you're looking at the person. So for you, I am, but for others, uh, other programmers, it's hard to assess on average. It wasn't like I was 100% shut in in my house. Actually, thank you for you that you have pushed me many times to socialize more because I learned quite a bit from you. <laughs> okay. I didn't know about that, so I'm glad I could help. But yeah, I don't need that much social interaction to feel good. Mm -hmm. Or I don't need to connect frequently with my friends to feel connected with them. Exactly, uh, because course, I think that's, yeah. you know, that's the difference. Because there are people that are just naturally extroverted and naturally introverted. So I would like to understand if you saw a difference when you changed. You know, when you were a developer, you could just focus on what you were doing, have the essential number of meetings and that's it. And now suddenly you need to talk to more people and you probably don't have so much time for development. Even before that, some people considered me an extrovert when I talked with them. Because I'm kind of learned extrovert, adaptable. But the most difficult thing uh, in the beginning for me was when I was moderating meetings, it was very exhausting for me in the beginning. And even before that, before I became a lead, I watched people who led meetings and uh, I thought, I don't want to spend this amount of energy uh, during meetings. So I better stay back. <laughs> Actually, it gets much, much better with time. Initially, you have a lot of new stuff going on. Uh, you have to keep in mind all the time uh, the topic so you don't uh, stray from it and how to make decisions, where to interrupt, a lot of new stuff. You are kind of overwhelmed in the beginning, but later you have it all figured out. You have those ready mental models to use and you don't have to use that much energy. In the beginning, before every such meeting, I had a thought like, oh, it will be... <sighs> It will take a lot of my energy again. <laughs> but yeah, currently, it's like, oh, I am leading this meeting. Uh, do I have everything prepared? Yes. Okay. All and right. That's so, it. You, so you took like a pragmatic approach to it, right? At first, you saw what it takes and you, you were even like hesitant to take on that role of leading the meetings. But then after a while, it gets better, right? So this is a good yeah. thing for everybody who's listening that, okay, even things and that seem big challenges at first and like, oh, that's something I would never want to do. In the end, you get used to them, you make them yours and you find your way to do it. And now, if you could, could you explain what you actually do? What does it mean to be a backend lead? For me, it's important because that's part of what I said at the beginning. Each company has different ways of expressing their role and sometimes you don't even have a job description. So the person that was just a while ago a developer now is a lead and they have no clue what they should be doing. And it's hard. Sometimes you are the only lead in the 
company. Sometimes there are more. Sometimes you have somebody who can mentor you. Sometimes nobody mentors you and you just need to find your own way. So I would like to understand what does it mean? And also, are there more teams? Is there one team? Are the teams cross-functional? Or do you have like a team of backend leads? If you could explain a little bit about this. Okay, let's start with uh, team composition. We have mm -hmm. cross-functional teams, Scrum teams. So we have five teams with backend developers and uh, currently two backend developers per team. Yeah, it's not like I am a team leader. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I lead uh, the department. And my road here was quite difficult because you can say that difficult or and not at the same time because it wasn't clearly defined what I should be doing. And I assumed responsibilities for things that I think uh, were lacking or that uh, it would be beneficial if I took care of them. So you did it on your own. Are there any other leads? in your company that you could like talk to and see what they were doing? Yeah, but uh, there is a different approach in every programming department. So some uh, distributed the, the work, some do part of it and so on, because it, it is working in a different way for them. So from the responsibilities that I was given, I have to be responsible for recruitment, onboarding and moderating our uh, backend meetings as we call them guild meetings and basically this is it yeah it was kind of communicated before i will i became the lead but then the confluence page mysteriously disappeared with some sketch of responsibilities <laughs> and uh, it wasn't there anymore uh, and that's a very funny thing to say because you know sometimes i ask in the company like what's the job description of a team lead or whoever lead that we have and it's like yeah you know it's there we have the recruitment so obviously there is so in many companies it's really unclear and so it seemed funny for me that suddenly a page would disappear but i have a question there if you said that you had only two things from like that were given to you as responsibilities what about one-on-ones and performance review who does the performance review for backend developers in your company okay this yeah performance reviews uh, are made once every half a year and everyone is eligible to talk about salary once a year. Our CTO was responsible for it initially. Now it is being changed and we are experimenting with this distributing work. Uh, the problem for me uh, with giving someone an overview, for example, for salary review, uh, was that I'm not working on daily basis with most of my, and I know some things from the meetings and from code review, but not much more, except when I actually do research and ask people for their feedbacks and collect. So we have changed this and actually there are people responsible for collecting feedback and there are people giving feedback. We ask people uh, who they think uh, it would be worthwhile to ask for feedback for them. Okay, so what you just said were responsibilities that were given to you by your manager to manage the backend developers. And now I would like to understand what were the other things you mentioned that you considered were needed, but somehow lacking or missing. Okay, so one of the first things that I was beginning to improve was the onboarding process that we had. Because most problematic thing was that our bodies 
were reactive bodies. Uh, could you explain yeah. what the body is? Because, you know, I, I actually did my uh, video about the body. You can see it here. And I did it based on yours. And I mentioned it there on your checklist that you created for your team. But for those that never watched that video, I would like if you could like in two phrases explain what the body is, what is their role? A body, well, depends on the company, but uh, this should be a person who is responsible for your onboarding, uh, your day-to-day uh, -day consultations about uh, how everything works and so on. So a body is a person that you assign to a new joiner, so their onboarding goes smoother. Yes, because some things will still be like, there is a meeting about this, there is that meeting about that with someone else, but body is like, a glue for everything and fills all the gaps that could be there. And the problem was that the body was reactive only. So every time the person uh, wanted to know something, they, they had to think that, oh, can I distract this person? Because I've just wrote them and so on. And we don't have a scheduled meeting. It's not something normal expected that there will be meetings. I have to request them. So there is this obstacle. And also even bigger problem was that this body was often in a different scrum team, doing different stuff, planning different stuff. They didn't know what the team who the new joiner joined will be doing, what they have on the plate and uh, what are the plans. It was for new joiners, it was hard. And we even had some new joiners that left shortly after because it was this bad for oh, them. Really? It depended. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. So it sounds like you so, had some chaos on your hands and you decided to make sense of chaos. What we do today in this video. Yeah. First of all, I introduced that a body should be in the same team and should be proactive and explain to everybody what it actually means. And most important, do not overwhelm. And started creating this checklist with all the stuff that should be covered, not in some compact meeting or a group of meetings at just the start of of the job because nobody remembers all that stuff even just just getting around the office is something very new to the new joiner when some someone is trying to push some information that isn't relevant right now it won't be re remembered so i informed every such body every new style of body that okay this should be spread out in time and uh, you should monitor if they have what to do and uh, will there uh, will they be blocked by something uh, be between your meetings and to kind of monitor also what they already know and uh, what is still left uh, we have also a section in the checklist stuff that isn't necessary during the actual work during the onboarding should be spread in time for later but still covered during the onboarding. This was the first bigger thing that I've tackled, but I also tackled quite a lot of different topics that were not necessarily connected to being a backend lead because I noticed that, okay, something isn't working and waited for someone to improve it and there was nobody. So, <laughs> so I started uh, f fixing this and uh, fixing that. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, but just yeah. before we go to another topic, I would like to understand, did you try to spread it over the company or is it only a backend thing? Currently, I am responsible for spreading this over all departments that are in Scrum teams because they liked how it works. We also had this talk that, okay, uh, now we are changing things around in our composition that we are giving parts of our application for ownership to teams. So things that we had in our backend backlog will actually be moved to team that is responsible for this part of the project and they will be responsible for it. So uh, the role of backend lead is currently changing, greatly diminished because uh, we have much less to do now because now we only talk about things that, for example, they want to change something, but it will affect everyone else. So they want to discuss it with everyone. And we had this talk about what should I do now, since I have more time. <laughs> and this was one of the obvious things that I could tackle for the whole Scrum team. Uh, this was my proposal was... and they, uh, they just agreed that, okay, this works good. So let's, let's do it. So it was your proposal to roll it out to the rest of the R&D. Mm -hmm. How did you make sure that all your team, so the backend team, knew what it means and actually get to know the checklist? I had one-on-ones with uh, new buddies before they became buddies. Of course, I asked them if they want to be, uh, why it would be uh, the best decision because you will be in the same team. Then I instructed everyone. So it was one-on-one. -on -one. I also have a helper page on Confluence that I wrote uh, the most important points uh, for further reference. Uh, but currently I will want to have this probably as something that uh, someone else can take over. So I will have some presentation on, on top of that and some key takeaways, I guess. And everyone who actually was a buddy will be able to teach somebody else how to be a buddy. I wouldn't want to give this instruction to everyone at the same time, because since this isn't necessary for people that won't be a buddy for quite a while, uh, they won't remember it. When it becomes relevant for you, because Oh, there is a, this new joiner in two weeks. You will be the buddy because you agreed. So how to do it? Then you remember what, you, <laughs> what you've just <laughs> listened. Wow, I think that's a very interesting tip for overall communication. Because, you know, I tend to over-communicate and under-communicate. So I would do like a big meeting. Hey, we have this new process. Please learn it. But I think you are right here. And this is something that I see consistent in what you do. So when you have a new joiner, you also don't want to tell them already what will happen in a month. And you teach the body to only <laughs> keep the knowledge to what's currently essential for the new joiners. So they don't get overwhelmed and they don't... Because they will, as you said, they will just not remember they will just push out the knowledge because it's not relevant at the moment and i see that you do that also when you introduce some new processes and i think it's it's great tip for everybody who is introducing some change so there are different ways of doing it i really like what you just explained and before we go to other subjects did the experience with being a youtuber 
help you somehow with this kind of communication or writing down a checklist? Not for this. Uh, being a YouTuber helped me with explaining stuff just from my head without preparation. When someone asks about a topic, I can just take a few seconds to organize the thoughts and then start uh, going, going through them. And it helped me with presentations uh, when I present something. And especially for presentations, it was useful. Because, yeah, it, it is still something new that you are talking in real time and you can see reactions of people. But a lot of the whole experience was already mastered. The rest was still there to master, like actually reacting to reactions and so on, or not uh, being put off by uh, some reactions or that someone looked somewhere else or, or so, something like that to, to just focus on, on the stuff and uh, only some reactions matter so what you've mentioned just now uh, that it's a nice tip that we shouldn't just say to everyone uh, something about the topic that is not re relevant for them just yet uh, just spread it in time there is an interesting thought for people that are thinking about becoming managers because for me it was that i knew a lot of about psychology already ahead of time and i, I knew many of the factors that matter in, for example, brainstorming or communication and so on. So I had deeper knowledge about those topics. And the problem was that, yeah, I, I knew some frameworks of how to do, let's say, a voting process or brainstorming. Only few of them, but I knew the principles. And the problem for me was I knew just a little uh, of what a beginner should know and uh, quite a bit of what advanced person should know. And the problem for me was that I neither had already stuff to implement in many situations or, or I thought it's not a good fit for the situation. And I was quite overwhelmed with uh, the information, uh, this theoretical knowledge that I got. So weighting uh, multiple factors was slowing me down very considerably when I figured out, okay, so during this meeting, how how should we vote to make it the most fair without any manipulation going intentional or not? And it took me a lot of time because I knew the factors that could be there. <laughs> I, I didn't know already solutions. Uh, so I could, for example, pick the, the best fitting one. So this slowed me down a lot. And this is why, yeah, you should first get to know some ready solutions and multiple kinds of them and uh, pros and cons, then you should go deeper inside what actually is working below that and make your adjustments. I did all of this at the same time and it wasn't very effective. I liked the outcomes, but this was problematic and it was my perfectionism was making it all much worse. <laughs> I had to unlearn it. Yeah, when being a leader, there are just too many things to do to be a, a perfectionist. You can't make everything perfectly because you are sacrificing the most important thing 
time. Okay, that's a nice learning. What should be uh, better and what could be worse. And actually, by just allowing myself to, okay, I will do this little experiment, probably it will be a bit worse, let's say this voting. But sometimes such experiments brought me to yet another place that I wouldn't even explore uh, when thinking about what would be the best way right now. And let's, let's do it right now. And let's do always the best way. You can't explore them because you always go only to this, to the top of your current peak, but the whole range of mountains could have even bigger peaks and you have to go in different directions to see that maybe I will get even higher. <laughs> that's a very nice analogy. Yeah, I, I love it. And I see, you know, that's what the part that I was talking at the beginning that I could see in you, you have this ability to focus, to take into account multiple factors and analyze them, this analytical mind. And that's why, as you say, it can be good and bad at the same time, because you have like multiple inputs coming at the same time and you need to define which one you will actually use and which ones you have to let go because it's not possible to do all of the same time. Mm -hmm. There is this about factors, uh, like, like weighting factors, because I can do, uh, for example, something to be faster, but it. Uh, this is the basic example. Uh, faster isn't better often. Uh, by better, I mean the quality of, of something. But sometimes the quality isn't that much important. Uh, the quality with given time doesn't raise like this. It raises like quality is, is this. And th there is only a little increase when you do something much better. The, the final outcome is only a bit better. It's like this. Uh, 80-20 principle that you have, because this is like an average, that 80% of the result is with 20% of uh, given effort. You mentioned that you had a lot of, you knew somehow the psychology, you had some information about how to do this kind of voting. Where did you get that information? Could you share some materials that helped you? Like that's some other person that is starting your journey could actually use in their becoming a manager. That's the hard thing because this is knowledge accrued through the years of reading various articles on practical stuff, uh, practical psychology, mostly about how to do something better uh, for myself, how to think in a better way or how to solve problems better. I think that very helpful for understanding people is listening to the personality lecture on the University of Toronto that is on YouTube from Jordan Peterson. It's it's great. Uh, you can understand yourself better. You can understand others better. What is common between people, What, how they differ, and so on. One example is that people. some people have their values different in a way that makes others say that, okay, how can you not understand this? Are you stupid or something? This is important and so on. No, they are not stupid. They are just different. They have different values. 
which means that they want different things to happen. This helps understand, to understand people. But also, I would like to recommend this application called Blinkist. Blinkist is like, like listening to audiobooks, but these are books that are non-fiction and they're shortened to the most vital points. And it takes like 15 minutes on average per book. So you get the most important points about uh, from a book and uh, either by reading, because you can read this, or by listening, there is a lector. And you're able to see, okay, this is something I would like to go deeper into. Okay, so I will buy the book. But uh, if it's not worthwhile to, to just go deeper into it, you can you still get the most important points from it and learn it. Can yes. have an overview of possible sources that you can go deeper into. Okay, that's nice. It's like our tradition of cheating at school <laughs> that you always read the summary version. <laughs> so I like it. <laughs> yeah, but it's sometimes. more like this 80-20 uh, rule, right? Uh, you oh. get the uh, most vital points uh, with very little effort here. And if you really, for example, if it changes how you should think or you need more examples to really get a hang of something, then you buy the whole book and learn from it. You often don't need this, especially for topics that you kind of know uh, something about. All right. Didn't I mention at the beginning that my brother is actually an expert in all optimization hacks? So here we have <laughs> a few of them and I think they are very valuable. I will link all the things you mentioned below so the listeners can check out the links. Wow. So it sounds like you were a developer, a programmer, and then you became a psychologist. That's an interesting journey. <laughs> I think not many people talk about this because people talk about, yeah, what does it take to be a manager? What it means to be a leader? But people rarely take a look at the psychological side of the things. I think that it actually is like you're an, an expert, but if you will be leading still in this domain for leadership, you lack psychological related skills and some actual solutions for useful for company. The psychology is like the other part and what you built with both of those solutions uh, tailored for you. Okay, that's, that's interesting. I think we should talk about this more in general. You were saying that there was some kind of restructure when it comes to your role. Could you explain a little bit, like after restructuring, what would be your role right now in your company? So it's still in the making, but what I would like to tackle next when I have time. So currently, uh, as I said before, uh, we're moving responsibility for particular parts of our our code base and our features to teams but nobody says what should happen next there are people assigned that they will be technical leads for those features but nobody said what should be done about this and how so i would like to tackle mentoring those people and creating some 
norms, uh, how, uh, what should happen, when, and so on. So what are the expectations of the company? So I'd like to shape this. Okay, so there, then we go into how much mentoring and coaching there is in the role that you have. I became the lead, the backend lead, uh, from being a programmer there at first for two reasons. First is that I've already participated in a lot of people-centered initiatives because, uh, like I said, I, I saw that some things aren't working and somebody has to fix them. And I saw that nobody fix, fixes them. So I was giving my initiative there. And the second thing was that I was the most senior person uh, from uh, among backend developers. And the, the part about seniority also caused a problem for me at the beginning, basically my most important problem there. When we were talking about some problem and uh, we wanted to brainstorm a solution. So what I did, I proposed something that uh, from the top of my head and it was typically quite a good solution not the best in most cases but good enough and uh, this resulted in just silence that okay everyone agreed with this and uh, let's move on so basically people learned that I will give some good enough solution right away and they don't have to think. So what I began to do was to delay pitching in to give time to others to just think and propose something themselves. And it really helped. In the beginning, it was like, 10 seconds of silence and then maybe someone said something but later and later people started pitching in right away or after a few seconds and I also saw that overall quality of solutions picked this way was better because we explored more ideas and then people were actually thinking about improvements for them and yeah we improved those ideas so even if I later said something that uh, was my idea from the top of the head they started to improve it instead of just accepting it but when it comes to for example one-on-ones when someone has a problem and they want to consult with me it's like between coaching which is mostly composed of questions and uh, just uh, helping uh, like participating in brainstorming there is this sliding scale so depending on the person depending how how advanced they are or how much help they need or maybe other factors even i helped more or less first of all i asked uh, what do they think about this Uh, what uh, what are the pros what are the cons and so on if i can see that this doesn't go into the right direction, I could uh, propose something and uh, ask them what they think about this. But uh, this this is one example. It is different in each case. So I can, uh, I'm trying to gouge just how much uh, help I should give them. Because if you give too much help, like before, they, they stop thinking themselves. But sometimes I don't have much time and we have to press faster. So then I just pitch in more with my ideas and uh, we are thinking about pros and cons together so uh, yeah 
Okay, I really like what you just said, because that's one of the problems I noticed with first-time managers, that when the role is not clear enough, people start micromanaging as opposed to giving the empowerment to the team. I even had a hypothesis recently that I shared on Twitter. Is a team lead actually disempowering the team? Because you only talk to the team lead, the team lead is the only one who has ideas and what I really like what you explained it seems like you actually emerge as a leader naturally because you actually had a lot of opinions and you were sharing your vision and how you would like to approach the things but at some point you said wait nobody is saying anything I am taking over the whole space so you took a step back and you decided Okay, maybe taking a step back on the meeting is actually a good idea so that people start talking. And you know, there is this book and it's called Training from the Back of the Room. And that's the thing, like as a leader, you should go to the back of the room. You should be just facilitating the conversation that's happening. You can facilitate it. You can motivate people to talk, but you shouldn't be the only one talking. And I see that a lot happening. And this is one of the big challenges I see with the role, because if you don't have a good role model, somebody who will tell you how to be a leader, you would think that since you are the ultimate responsible, if something is not happening, it's your responsibility. The delivery is ultimately your responsibility. And then if you don't have this good role model, you start micromanaging people and you start taking all the decisions and you start deciding for the whole team, as opposed to letting the team be and letting the team pitch in. Because in the end, the developers are smart people. They are experts in their domain. They know how to do things. They have ideas. And that's why what we do, we not only call it knowledge work, because you need to have a lot of knowledge, but we also call it it's creative work. Ultimately, I see that a lot of managers who are new managers who don't have these good practices to follow, what they do is that they inhibit this creativity of their team as opposed to empower the team. So I'm really glad you mentioned that very important part of being a good leader. Yeah, I agree. I saw that th there are two opposing sides how company could be. You could have completely hierarch hierarchical structure where every decision goes up to person responsible and goes down. And you have this uh, free for all where uh, everyone does whatever they want. So the first one is like big corporation in a classical sense, this b bad sense. <laughs> and uh, the other is, uh, for example, open source community. In a normal company, you have something in between and both have their advantages and disadvantages. So for, from hierarchical structure, you have this that we are going in some direction and the top controls the, the direction and they control it very strictly. On the other hand, in uh, something like open source community, everyone does what they want to do. So they're much more inspired because nobody forces them to do this. They do whatever they want. And uh, you have to meet in between somewhere that has the most benefits for your situation. I believe it should be something like, yeah, uh, the overall direction comes from the top, but what exactly you do to achieve this direction is up to you. Then people are actually engaged because they figure out how to move forward and these are their ideas. So they assume both ownership of the 
problem and the solution. This is much more engaging for people, but it's not for everyone. During recruitment, it's also important to filter people who don't fit what uh, what is here in your company. Because some people just want to have clear orders what to do and they don't want to bother. Among programmers, there are quite a bit of uh, such people. For some people, it is a big problem when it's just an order. For example, for me, especially in the, in the beginning, when I disagreed with some order, then I felt very bad about the fact that I have to do this. And But there's also an important thing here that explaining why we do, uh, why someone has to do something helps a lot. This is one of the most important points. People tend to argue a lot less if they know why uh, some decisions are made. So it should be always explained why uh, we should do this why this process is there should be documented if uh, this is necessary but it should be passed or known already well i couldn't have said that better i am an advocate for explaining the context to people we usually say that the po's or the pms they own the what what we will do and then the how should be owned by the team the team is expert enough to find the best way to solve the problem they just brought and find the best solution so when we take that from people and we decide for them and I saw how frustrated you must have felt that, okay, I don't agree with this and I have to now code it. It is very important, as you say, to give the explanation why we are doing this, what's the context. Maybe, you know, maybe there is a competitor that is just chasing us. And if we don't do it just like this right now, we might lose big accounts. So this is something very important for the team to understand. And as you say, it's again going back to the psychology of people, right? How to maintain people motivated, interested in what they do and getting their buy-in even though the solution is not theirs. So again, very important tip for all the managers. Um, <laughs> I would like to understand just how the structure is because you said what you will be now doing. I would like to understand who do you actually report to and what guidance did you get from your manager? In general, I report to head of engineering directly. When it comes to my work, because I still partially work as a programmer in a scrum team, I don't have anyone to report to. So on the coding part, you report to yourself? We that? report to the team, basically. Uh, and the team reports to you. Nice. And could you say, does it the coding, does it help you in anything? Mm -hmm. Currently, I maybe code one day or two in every sprint, which is two weeks, but not all of it is coding. Quite a bit of this is planning, refining, consultation, but also setting milestones and so on, because I am also technical lead of two features of monitoring and test data generation. Could you explain uh, what does it mean? So now we get into those roles that are creating chaos for me. So we have backend lead, but we also have technical leads. Could you explain briefly what it means? It's more like a hat, not a job, but, but a role that you have. Like you can be a mentor or a coach sometimes. So it, it's like a hat. I basically own the decision in which direction bo both of those features will go. I'm not the one responsible for distributing work, but I can initiate that, okay, we need this, this and that done. 
and I will give this to POs so they will distribute it between teams. But I own the decision in which direction it will go. And me and the other backend developer in my Scrum team always code review the things that we own because we have the, something called code ownership. We mark which files we own and it automatically requests our code review on those files if there is a change there. Yeah, unfortunately, it isn't well defined what should be done. Uh, you are basically responsible for direction of the feature as this technical lead, but nobody says uh, how it should be done. So I'm figuring this out. We know more or less how some things uh, about it should be done. For example, uh, not only your team could uh, develop it, but uh, it could be spread over teams if there is enough priority. But still, how to spread this? would be responsibility of POs. I we used to work in very similar structure when I was in my taxi. We also had, it was called Chapterly. You say that you still code for a team. Is it always the same team or do you change teams so you have the chance to code with some other developers? How does that work? Yeah, we are sticking with the same team. However, there are some issues that someone else knows more about this. So I will contact that person and we will talk about this and figure out uh, some brainstorming and so on with that person. Uh, so there are spontaneous pairs and grouping of people that want to tackle some problem. We even have a meeting right at the start of each sprint. This is a backend meeting and everyone shows what they have completed during the previous sprint and passes any information that could be relevant to others. Maybe there is a new solution that could be reused. And we also take a look at plans for the current sprints to see if it's possible for someone else from another team to help with this because, for example, they did something similar and okay. it really helps. Every sprint, there is at least a few of the, these exchanges. How many teams you said you have in the company? We have five with backend developers, but seven Scrum teams in total. Okay, so this helps avoiding that people step on their toes, right? And making sure that the architectural part of the backend solution is aligned along the whole company. Yeah, and we don't duplicate solutions. Uh, we don't reinvent the wheel. And also uh, during uh, this meeting, we could think about some edge cases to cover that may not come to the mind of those that are responsible for doing this. And have you ever thought about actually moving to different teams to getting to know how other teams work, what's the collaboration, how the different developers, because you mentioned that at the beginning. And I know that this is one of the pains of being a chapter backend functional lead, that you don't get a chance to actually work with the other developers to see their interactions on their Scrum meetings and so on. We thought about this, but the overhead of doing this is too much uh, in our case. Okay. But we have, for example, Scrum Master who uh, moved uh, between teams and uh, spread some uh, good practices. I also introduced during our review meeting uh, for the whole company, what was done in the previous sprint, introduced the practice to spread during this meeting what good practice we found and tested and actually worked for us. Exactly. Other teams can reuse it. Okay, that's nice because it's like a technical touch to a review meeting, which usually gets more a uh, business side to it, right? Uh, ah, I meant uh, more like uh, when it comes to process, not technical stuff. So 
before we finish, because it has been a very interesting interview and I could go and go for hours, but we have been going for hours already. So I would like to ask the last question that compatible with what we just spoke about. How would you evaluate the importance of knowing the business side of the product of the company that you work for when you are a backend, a tech lead, somebody who's just leaving development teams? I think this is important for everyone because when you know only your little part, then you can only influence your little part. But if you want to be more senior and actually have better overall performance, it is better to know uh, what are the goals, overall goals, how company works, uh, how other people work in that may relate to your work. For example, for backend developer, it is important to also think about how frontend works and, uh, for example, how data science works, because already during planning, you can spot things that uh, could work better if done differently for them. So you are sacrificing a bit of your performance in doing what is supposed to be your stuff, but overall performance for the whole company is better when you already know what would be an answer of uh, data science when asked about how would you like to have monitoring of this feature. If you know already the answer, you don't have to ping pong there. If you already know the answer where the company is going, it is much smoother. So it is more and more important the higher in hierarchy you are. So if you are considering becoming a leader, then I suggest you to take more and more notice uh, how every department interplays and what is important for each department. Okay. And what about the money? Do you understand? Where's the revenue coming from? And do you have anything like, do you have that in mind when you develop or do you have to make a decision? Everyone knows in our company what is our revenue stream. When it comes to managing, if we want to, for example, do more refactoring now or uh, more time for development of new stuff that will improve our KPAs, then this is mm, still a job of PO. So they manage those priorities to make, not to say all stakeholders happy, because it's not about making stakeholders happy. It's uh, about making the overall long-term performance of a company good, uh, the best that they can manage. Because, uh, for example, something like refactoring is investment in the future. And they have to take uh, this into account, not only short and middle-term benefits. Thank you for that. It's important as well to know about the business side of the product. I had a really nice time here talking to you, my brother, in English, which is, I think, our first conversation ever in life. <laughs> In English. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's you know, do it again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it's strange, but talking about work seems so natural to speak in English that I didn't even realize that we did, you know. At the beginning, we had to start, but then it just went. I, I'm not sure if I would be able to do this interview in Polish, really. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we talked about some stuff like this in Polish, and I struggled to find words for many things. Since I started working in Edge, in technology 
I've never ever worked in Polish, so I don't think I could. <laughs> yeah, so thanks a lot. It was very interesting and I found a few points that I will actually consider for myself, especially the one that you mentioned that maybe not all knowledge is necessary for everybody at all times. Maybe we could announce that there's a new process, but we don't need to make everybody read it and remember it by heart, but just say whenever your turn would be to use it, please know that there is this new process, let me know and I will walk you through it, right? Those kind of tips, I find them very interesting and I really appreciate how your mindset is. It looks very agile, even though I don't think we ever mentioned agile, we only mentioned Scrum when we were talking about Scrum teams. So it's just something that makes sense. It is something that works and it's part of optimizing their life and work, right? I'm happy that I seem to have helped <laughs> and maybe someone else will also take out something for themselves from this. So thanks for having me and uh, hear you later. Thank you so much. And thanks everybody who stayed with us and came to the end of this interview. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as we did and see you soon. Bye bye. See ya.